Computer, initialize Holosuite. Good evening and welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 2, Episode 15, Paradise. Before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Absolutely, and as I say every week, you should find us and follow us because we are a good time. And in light of everything else that's going on in this world, I think we can all agree, we all need a good time. So, <laughs> come join us, especially on Twitter. Post your questions, comments, concerns. Promise that you'll get an answer back from one of us, at least. And, um, yeah, we'll just go on from there. Um, so, as David said, we are here to talk about Paradise. Great episode of the second season of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. But as always, before we jump into that, let's talk about us. So, David, how was your week? It was good. So I've uh, been teasing uh, that for the past couple episodes that I'll be, my sister-in-law was having a masquerade murder mystery party for her birthday, which was fun. She had like, gosh, only 30 people there, I would say, um, at this party. And I went as a character who was supposed to be an a, you know, aspiring comedian uh, who made a bunch of puns and jokes. And it was fun. The... Uh, I had a lot of free time at work last week, so I literally wrote down a hundred dad jokes in a little booklet so that I could walk around and ask, give me a number, one to 100, and then I would tell a joke based on whatever number they picked. Um, but the problem I had was the mask I decided to buy for myself, like everyone else was wearing masks that just covered like their eyes and nose, which is a typical masquerade um, you know, mask. Makes sense. But the mask I found when I was searching for one for this character, it was it was lit- it was labeled as a jester mask, and it had a blue okay. and I'm sorry, a green and purple palette, just like the Joker. And there was a little bow tie with the same colors, with the you know also like a gold color. It was three tricolored: purple, gold, green, that flashed. And I figured this is perfect. This is gonna make for like it fits the kind of like the character that I I got going here, but I was the only person who had a mask that also covered his mouth, so it was hard for people to tell who I was. One, so for example, my sister-in-law's mother for like a full hour didn't know who I was, (laughs) which was funny. (laughs) And then um, when I was telling jokes, especially as it got louder, because all all these people are in this new house of theirs, uh, I was kind of having to really speak loudly through the mask to be, make sure I was heard, um, which was which was fun. I mean, it was part of the character. Um, but I at c- certain points, I decided to go ahead and take the mask off to like reveal my face so people knew who I was. And my niece, my one-year-old niece, was also there because uh, she was sick. So they, they had kept her in a, in a room. Uh, it was quiet and off in, in a way so she wouldn't be disturbed. But at, before the party really got going, she was out there and we were holding her. So I took my mask off so she wasn't afraid of, you know, this masked person. <laughs> but anyway, it was fun. I uh, got to tell a few fun jokes and uh, have a good time. 
Uh, and yeah, so that was that was a good time. How about you? What have you been doing? Up? What, what are you up to? Uh, well, nothing nearly as exciting as we know. You know, this was um, we all celebrated Mother's Day, so that was fun. You know, yeah. went out to this. I went to a Brazilian steakhouse. I'd never been to one before. Oh, and so I went to one. And if you have not gone, you should go. It is an experience. Um, I'm not even going to attempt to try to pronounce the name of the one that we went to because I know that I will murder it. And out of <laughs> respect for the Brazilian language, I will just not do that. Um, but Portuguese, the thing though. about it, Portuguese, <laughs> yes. Um, but the thing about it that I loved the most was um, when the atmosphere was great. Like, I don't know if they were doing this just because of, you know, there's still a lot of post-COVID I say post-COVID, but a lot of stuff like that was still in place. Right. So there was a lot of extra space in there, which for me is always a huge win. I'm a large man, and I don't like it when I feel like people are, like, sitting on top of me while I'm trying to enjoy my meal. And, of course, right. we were out with, you know, family, extended family and, and friends and so forth. So there was a good group of about 12 to 15 of us um, with all the kids and stuff as well. So it was nice to have this very large open area essentially to ourselves. Yeah. And, um, then, you know, the service was great. Cause it's just like, uh, you, you, they gave you these cards on the one side was red. The other side was green. And as long as your card is green, they are going to bring you meat <laughs> and they will bring you all kinds of meats. Yeah. So there was, you know, obviously various cuts of steak and, um, there was lamb and there were different types of uh, prepared chicken dishes and sausage dishes and everything else. And it just just keeps coming. They just yeah. they, they come with it and they were ready for you. And it was always hot and it was juicy and it was flavorful. And they had all the different sauces that you could think of to try different cuts of meat with. And you had your salads and your other sides and everything else. And it was just a great time. Yeah. So oh if goodness. you. Yeah. So. Uh, there is a bit of a, you know, price point there that you might want to investigate just to be <laughs> just, you know, to make sure that you're comfortable. But at the right. same time, I definitely feel like it was worth it. You know, like I believe that at least for the Mother's Day, they were charging. It was like 60, 65 bucks a person. And, and then it was like 30 for kids. Right. And then on top of that, you've got whatever your drinks are and stuff like that. So right. you're probably going to average... 100 to 120 bucks a person. Wow. Um, yeah, but at the same time, it's endless meat, man. Yeah. I, I ate so much lamb today. I had I had <laughs> Greek-styled Greek lamb. I had Argentinian-styled lamb. I had just lamb pops. I had a lamb T-bone. I had, like, like all this stuff, and it was great, <laughs> all of it. So um, yeah. I, I left very oh. satisfied, very full. Um, very much enjoyed myself, and I remember thinking, you know what, this would have been a great place to go 20 years ago when I was still playing football, and you, you know, could eat whatever you wanted, and right, yeah. right. Yeah. I was like, I said, I could imagine if I'd brought me and my O-line friends here, we would have shut this place down. Oh uh, yeah, you would have broke their freaking <laughs> restaurant wide open. Yeah, 120 bucks would have been a steal for us at that <laughs> at that time, and the amount of meat we could have put away. You know, so, uh, oh but yeah, it was still, it was still really great. They, the layout was nice. The stuff they did for Mother's Day was really nice. Um, so yeah, we just had a really great time, um, with that. Um, so Very again, good. I, uh, Brazilian Steakhouse, if you can find one near you, I highly suggest you go. It is different, but it was worth it. So, gotcha. okay, yeah, 
but yeah, other than that, week's been pretty great. Um, had a little bit of a backslide with the whole workout thing, but I don't want to talk about that. Just that's all you need to know. <laughs> um, I will be getting back to it uh, starting uh, this week, so we'll be Very good. back on track. I did finally come up with a goal for all that. My, wow. um, I don't know if I told you last week or not, but my um, college, my alma mater, is doing a, um, a big to-do for the football team from way back when I – was playing so okay uh so for those that you know might remember not know whatever um my college had a football team for a good while and then something happened and they stopped doing football for a good number of years and then and then um my freshman class was the first class to be uh a part of the new football tradition they gotcha. read when they started to bring the program back. We were the first ones. Okay. And so since then they've done, they've continued to have a football program and it's, it's flourished and prospered and the school makes quite a good bit of money off of it and everything else. Right. And so apparently to honor us, the group that uh, kind of restarted it all, they are um, doing this kind of honorific thing for us at homecoming this year. So um, I've received my invitation. I thought about it for a while and decided I did want to be a part of that. Um, And then I realized I haven't been back on my campus in like, 15 years so uh, I was just like yeah I definitely don't want to roll into this thing literally roll into it uh, I want to be you know trim fighting fit a little bit you know and uh, so yeah that's my motivator now to really get right. in the gym more consistently and nail this diet thing and really you know get this done right. I have six months to do it so okay you got the we're time. gonna see yeah we're gonna see how much I can you know, slim down and tone up in this six month time span. Gotcha. Okay. So wow. Yeah. All right. We got a clock ticking. We got some. Oh yeah. Set. There we go. <laughs> yeah. 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 You, uh, you and I were uh, just looking at some old images of ourselves and I was looking at oh, one gosh. of myself and, uh, man, I was a skinny stick of a guy <laughs> it's about seven years ago. Yeah. My job now I get to sit around and, uh, yeah, I definitely let that kind of, kind of build on me a little bit <laughs> yeah and my picture was me when i was hiking in california right and uh yeah i'm a lot more doughy now than i was <laughs> in that picture yeah so uh yeah. yeah lots to try to get back to for sure yeah yeah um, or i guess i shouldn't say try to get back to i mean you know that you shouldn't always look back you know and trying to hold on to stuff like that can set you up for failure because obviously I'm not that person. That picture was taken to me probably 12 years ago. So, yeah, a lot has changed for me in 12 years. <laughs> so I need to make sure that I'm realistic with myself there. But at the same yeah. time, yep. nothing that says I can't be a good, healthier me than I was even then. So, yeah. Right. But we are not here to talk about us and our ever-increasing <laughs> waistlines. Yeah. We are here to talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And... What constitutes paradise? Yes. Yeah. Great episode. So uh, before we get into that, though, do you want to give the recap or do you want me to do it? Oh, gosh, I forget who did it last time. I'm you did it last it. time. Yeah. You did it last time. So um, uh, sit back. I'll do it this time. Let's do it. And again, we're just going to hit the highlights here. We're not trying to give you every single thing because, again, we're going to do a deep dive. So if I miss something, just hope that we get back to it. And if I miss it and we don't talk about it, 
that's a great reason for you to follow us on Twitter or Facebook or any of the other ones and mention it to me. Right. So, again, the episode is called Paradise. This was in Season 2. And the episode starts with um, O'Brien and Cisco on board one of the infamous runabouts that we have. Mm -hmm. And it is the USS Rio Grande is the one that they're on this time. And they're just kind of having a conversation about uh, Jake and what... Cisco wants his son to do and things like that when they end up um, um, coming to this planet. And they get to the planet, and as soon as they land on the planet, none of their technology works. Uh, tricorders don't work, phasers don't work, nothing. They try to contact the runabout, doesn't work, okay? So they keep walking, and they're talking about the possibility of being, you know, picked up by anybody, when all of a sudden, these two guys show up, one armed with a bow and arrow, and orders them to stop. Uh, right. The two guys, recognizing them as humans who are part of Starfleet, bring them to this community of humans that have been living on this planet, and uh, they're basically told that, you know, their ship crash-landed on this planet some 10 plus years ago and uh, they gave up all hope of trying to escape because none of their uh, technology worked so they just kind of gave up on technology and kind of lived this very agrarian lifestyle right um all this is led by a woman named elixis who is so happy to see o'brien and cisco and she even comments to her son the boy who was with the bow and arrow that there are now two uh strong healthy men to add to their uh, labor force. Right. Um, so, you know, Cisco and them are like, Cisco and O'Brien are like, yeah, we'll contribute and everything else, but of course, we're still going to try to, like, get out of here, but while we're here, we'll cooperate for a little bit. Um, ben discovers that Elixis has basically been, like, pumping out all these books and stuff about pretty much everything right. that about life, and all of it also kind of ends the same way, that Humanity at its current rate sucks, and that the only way that man will ever rediscover their true power is to give up technology and go back to, again, this more agrarian lifestyle. Right. Um, back on Deep Space Nine, everybody else is kind of unaware that Cisco and O'Brien are missing. We see Kira and Dax making small talk. I mean, we get to see some Dax finally. Yeah. You know. Got comments um, about that. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. So we get a little get a, a little Kira Dax interaction. There's something about an admiral who wants to play poker with Ben, um, and so Kira decides she's going to update Ben about uh, this guy waiting on him. They go to contact the shuttlecraft and. They get no answer. Right. So realizing something may be up, Kira and Dax decide to board a uh, runabout and go find them. Right. Um, and they board my favorite runabout. We finally get it. They get on board the Orinoco. So we finally <laughs> get to see and hear the name. I've been waiting on this forever. So um, they decide to board the Orinoco and go track down the runabout. While they're on their way to track down this runabout, they end up getting an update that says that uh, they, the runabout was spotted, you know, on high warp elsewhere. Right. 
They end up tracking it down and realize somebody attempted to fling the runabout into a star. Right. And for whatever reason, they just didn't get it quite right. So instead of it actually hitting the star and blowing up, it kind of like ricocheted off off the star. And that's how they were able to track it down. There's some risk involved in slowing it down. But of course, Dax being the brilliant person that she is. And again, it's getting more Dax out of this. She's able to stop the runabout and they beam on board. They're able to backtrack the steps or the path that the runabout took and now they're headed towards the last known sector where the runabout was which is also where um uh, o'brien and cisco are right meanwhile while all this is going on um o'brien and cisco are on this planet and they're still trying to like figure out what could be affecting things now o'brien's like i understand what you guys have told us about this duenetic field they keep bringing it up a lot he's like but at the same time if it was naturally occurring i could have figured this out a while now and he starts to talk about it a little bit more but he kind of they start to get shut down a bit so we're starting to notice there's a little bit of resistance towards them talking about leaving right uh they come across this lady on the colony who is sick she has some kind of infection and they've been trying to use various herbs and medicines from the surrounding forest to cure it but it's just not working cisco's like if we we can get in contact with runabout we could save her but the lady alexis is like basically shut up don't talk about that we're right. we have to find our cures here because it happened here we can't rely on your your space flung medicine basically right. um eventually alexis dies okay i'm She's sorry straight up meg dies not alexis meg i'm sorry yeah <laughs> wish wishful thinking yeah yeah uh, exactly. meg dies and this kind of really ticks off cisco because he's like we weren't doing everything we could to save her life and you definitely you know stopped us here um so now alexis is now of the mind that she really needs to convince ben of all people to give up uh, being a Starfleet officer. Right. And uh, so now she's kind of like putting it to him a little bit. Like she makes him stay up and do like guard duty at night. And then like as soon as he comes out of guard duty, she makes him go and work in the fields. And right. she's also trying to get him to like take his uniform off and wear their homemade clothes. And Ben's just not having it. He'll right. do the extra watch. He'll work in the fields. But he is Starfleet to the core and he is not taking off that uniform. Right. Meanwhile, he gives O'Brien an order to figure out what's going on here because he's not buying the whole Astatin deposits in the mountains that is causing this duenetic field and all their stuff to not work. Right. Um. So off goes O'Brien to kind of do this. He gets discovered by Alexis, who then is like, "You've broken one of our rules about wasting time, and so you need to be punished." But instead, we're not going to punish you. We're going to punish Ben because Ben is your superior officer. And so they stick Ben in this hot box, the punishment box that they've got, which we saw earlier when somebody else was in there because they stole a candle. Yes. Um. So she. So basically, again, she's just putting the screws to Ben here, trying to get him to break. Right. So Ben gets in the thing. He's in there pretty much all day. She finally lets him out late at night and she's like change your clothes drink this water become a part of our society and we don't have to have any more problems ben's like nah i got this he walks (laughs) back out of the he walks back out of the main uh main 
constructed place they have there right and gets back into the hot box willingly. puts himself back in puts himself the box. back in yes. with no help man is like can barely walk closes can barely the door stand he yeah. gets back in it and closes the door yeah so then this kind of ticks o'brien off and like he's now finally really like gung-ho about figuring this stuff out yeah he gets some help from uh, the other former engineer that's in this colony he rigs up a kind of makeshift rudimentary detector of some kind using a gourd and some of those acids and deposits they were talking about right and he finds where the the field is coming from the duenetic field and it turns out it's not natural at all there is this machine that's buried under the ground not very well by the way <laughs> i mean how much is two or three inches <laughs> yeah he just kind of brushes it away and boom there it all is but before he can turn it off oh boy with uh the robin hood complex shoots at him with his bow and arrows right uh, he misses at first o'brien takes off he lays a trap for him where he takes his uniform off and hangs it up on his on the tree the boy thinks he shoots o'brien um gets closer o'brien drops down on him from a tree knocks him out ties him up with the string from the bow and arrow and then goes back and turns off the the duenetic field generator. Right. He brings the boy into the community center. He fires off the now working fully functional phaser, which kind of shocks everybody and just makes the big reveal that the phaser works, everything works. And it was all a big elaborate ploy because it was this machine that was generating this field. And now here comes the rest of the story that Alexis actually found some sympathetic scientists to her philosophy of, of giving up technology, which is, that's just hilarious to me. You found technological scientists who believed in your philosophy of not using technology to then build you technology to not make technology work. (laughs) And they somehow got it to this planet, put it in the ground, and then she faked this She faked everything. Right. She, she basically laid this whole thing out for them. They were, they had originally been on course to go to some other place. She waylaid that whole thing to this place that she had picked out months in advance and set all this stuff up for them to be there. And, uh, you know, now that, that reveal is over, of course, Ben lays the whole, you know, you're responsible for the deaths of all these people because you trapped them here. You didn't give them the opportunity to make contact with anybody who could have potentially saved their lives. That's all right. on you, you know. So now it's um, the people have a choice to make. Are they going to stay and continue this lifestyle or are they going to leave the field generator off and rejoin the rest of advancing society out there? Um, at this time, Dax and uh, Kira show up with Rio Grande and the Orinoco, and they're ready to beam everybody up. They don't really say if everybody decides to leave or go. They seem to be making that decision, but definitely people leaving are uh, O'Brien, Cisco, Alexis, and her son, because right. uh, they are they are knowingly guilty. And uh, that's essentially it. Yeah. That's the episode. Yeah, it's interesting ending because yes. the the mechanic guy he's all like Alexis was right even if she did all these wrong things her philosophy was right and so we're gonna stay but Alexis needs to go res- answer for her crimes to Starfleet so mm-hmm. she and her son like she's aware she says like I knew this day would come and I would have to go which is 
kind of bizarre. Like she doesn't put up much of a fight <laughs> there at the end. Yeah, I mean, you know, she kind of got to have her time in the sun. She, you know, got to exploit these people a bit as their leader and kind of, you know, like a cult leader mind control yes. game she played on them. You know, um, but yeah, she definitely still like I still believe that Cisco was right in saying that you know she was responsible for all of those deaths because yeah, she was in control of the technology that they could have easily turned off and gotten help to save Meg and anybody else that died along the way potentially. Right. Yeah. 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 And she... also, you know, like yeah. the, or just to say, just like anybody who died in the fake crash that she engineered to get them there, that's her fault too. Because they were on course to go somewhere else and she and her son messed this stuff up to get uh, them to be on this particular planet. So, yeah. Uh, a lot of deaths on this woman's shoulders here. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not I'm not super aware if there was any deaths when they first landed. It sounded like when it when they landed is when the field was like the, they landed but the field wouldn't allow them to leave. But maybe I'm not remembering everything right. Well, they she said that when they got into like they started having engine trouble before they before they crashed, obviously. Right. That's why they dropped out of warp and didn't go to the planet they were supposed to be going to. They were already having engine trouble. But then as they entered into a low orbit around this planet, everything else stopped working too. Right. Because right. she had already been there months in advance and had planted that field generator. And right. so basically as soon as they got into, they got close enough to it, everything stopped working. Right. So I yeah. always assumed that that meant that, one, she sabotaged the engines to make them stop working when they got close enough to the planet so that they would have to divert. And then once they were coming in for a landing, everything stopped working all of a sudden. So the slowly, slow controlled landing suddenly came to a falling brick <laughs> landing. And I'm assuming some people you were might be very injured, right. killed, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And even if they weren't killed initially, they might have had injuries that couldn't be treated because all of their technology that would have rapidly healed their injuries didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they would have right. languished for a while and probably died. Right. Yeah. 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 She's a very elaborate plan to get rid of all modern technology, which, you know, the, the, the episode was talking about how they were getting rid of technology, but then you see people using like a, a grinder to like grind stuff, mm -hmm. and it's like there's very, very there's basic some techni technology. Yeah. yeah, it's like the philosophy wasn't ever gone into enough detail to like make sure we parse out those questions. But whatever, we we, we had a bigger question at hand. Um, how does Cisco and O'Brien handle uh, being put on in a in a group where people are seemingly okay and happy with this non technology society, yet? the one person who's leading the society is working really hard and aggressively to get them to give up um, hope, give up their families, give up, you know, oh, you're going to love it here. Like, actually, it was one of the things that I wish Cisco had said at one point when she's, like, pressuring him to stay, like, you're going to love it here. Or, like, why do you want to go back and be an officer? He, he doesn't say, I got a kid back home. Like, whether or not I want to go back is not the question. I have responsibilities. I need to go. <laughs> Right. Um, he never says that, unfortunately. But and we even brought Jake up at the beginning of the episode, so I was a little frustrated that that wasn't directly brought up in that scene. But I get that the point was that this lady is gaslighting everyone, including Cisco, about the nature of what's going on. And uh, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Keep going. No, you're you're absolutely right. And I mean, it's it's like 
they tried to make it seem like Ben's resistance was based solely on, you know, strong character values and, and, and principle. But I mean, they very, very much could have brought up the realistic part of he's raising his son who's already lost his mom. The right. last thing he needs is to lose his dad, too. Right. He's very much motivated to get back to his actual family right. instead of trying to force him to create a family here or whatever it's it's i have somewhere else to be just like with right. o'brien you know o'brien's got a wife and kid back home like you know let them go right and uh you know i feel like alexis really did herself a huge disservice here by not you know trying to let them do that like i kind of get it because if they can leave, then anybody can leave. And she's trying to hold on to the community that she's built. Right. But at the same time, I mean, most of them just already seem so comfortable. They've been there for so long and everything else. Like, I I doubt any of them would really leave. And if they did leave, they'd probably come back. Right. You know, they've been there for 10 plus years. The whole galaxy has passed them by. Any connections that they had to people beforehand, those are all long since over. You know? uh, I don't know. I would say a decade is still enough time to reconnect with a number of people. Yeah, but to the status and to the level that you had beforehand, without a lot of work. Oh, for sure, no, no, no doubt. So. And yeah. I would, and let's be fair. Maybe let's say that these characters, having already known that they were going to be leaving for a colony, that had already cut cut those ties. So yeah, maybe that's yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. They had already they had already been planning to be. Uh, colonizers you know right. this was just a, a bit more extreme because they were now going to be totally cut off from the rest of the rest of the world right you know so that or yeah, rest of the galaxy really so yeah, yeah just a lot of extra steps that alexis placed on these people for really no other reason than her own self-aggrandizement i mean she's writing yes. books, treatises yeah. and philosophies on every little thing and all of them having the same point right humanity is doomed and you're only great when you have your use your hands and your your body strength and power that's it like technology sucks yeah just yeah didn't like it at all uh or didn't like her at all i liked the play of you know we've got starfleet against this kind of again rural mindset but Everything else about Alexa, I just didn't like Alexa at all. She was she was great at that role of manipulator, especially the yeah. more they revealed of how she was really trying to break Cisco mentally. Yeah, really, just like was liking her less and less. Like somebody punched this woman already. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, oh, that's definitely how I felt, especially on Cisco's part, or like O'Brien when he was having to stand there and watch them do what they did to Cisco. Like, yeah, like there are sometimes when it's like, yeah, um, I I think killing someone who is an oppressor like that who is like torturing you or who is gaslighting you who is but of course she has power in the community if if they had done anything against her then the community would have turned against them and so uh they were in a bad spot and cisco actually in some ways does the right thing i actually wanted part of like like, o'brien his solution is to go solve the, the the scientific question go solve the problem but as I was watching the episode, I was hoping that what they would do was is like O'Brien and the other mechanic guy, the old the older guy who um, was kind of like their friendly person on the inside. Yeah, he was the other former mechanic. Yeah, what I wanted to have happen was like the people turn against her and like they all pull a um, 
I am Spartacus moment, and they all try and get in the box. Like that's the point. Like you can't fit all of us in the box. Kind of kind of moment. Um, yeah. Like we all turn against you. You have no more power. Um, unfortunately, that's not what happened. And in fact, they all <laughs> proved to be a bunch of nutcases, and they're just like we like being, uh, you know, gaslit. You know, Stockholm syndrome works for us. <laughs> that's what I felt. Well, yeah, you know, it's it was interesting because it was like. When Cisco and O'Brien first show up, obviously, as the first visitors people have had in, you know, 10 years or whatever, they're very interested. But then the questions that they asked right away were so superficial and shallow that to me it was like, you guys clearly have an interest in not being here. But then as the episode continues, how much they all just gave in to what Alexis wanted and didn't challenge her at all. Right. They locked a man in this hot box for a day and a half because he stole a candle. Right. Are you kidding me? Like he agreed to that, Perry. He agreed. Oh, yeah. That's what this she tries to again. Yeah. Well, if I was to be thrown back in the box, I might too. Also, say, oh yeah, 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 yeah. We all agreed. This is how we're gonna punish people. I don't ever want to go back in the box ever again. Candles or not. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it just made me wonder, because I was like, okay, they probably agreed that, yes, there needs to be, and that's what she says, we all agreed there needed to be some kind of punishment to maintain order. Fine. Um, But who decided what would be a crime, and then it's like, are there levels here? Does Uh it not matter? Do all of your crimes mean that you end up in the hot box? Is Is it like... You're always going to end up in the box, but then depending on the severity of the crime, are you only in there for like part of the day, a whole day, day and a half? Like, what is it that gets you in there and gets you out? Like, what? Right. What's time served there? And the fact that we found out that he had literally been in there for at least 18 hours, because they said that they had put him in there right. the day before Cisco and O'Brien showed up. Right. And we know that they were there for at least a full night and into the next day before they finally let that guy out of that box. Right. Yeah. So all that for stealing a candle. Not candles. Right. He stole a candle. And then I love how, like, I think it's like the next scene. We see that Alexis has, like, at least three candles lit in her personal chambers where she writes her philosophical, you know, mantras. So it's like, I mean... I think I know whose candle got stolen because you have the only candles we've seen so far Mm -hmm. and you're making full use of them at that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Alexis. Go ahead. Sorry. She's awful. Yeah. She's awful. Um, And uh, just one of those, (laughs) I watched this episode. I've watched the episode a couple of times, obviously. Right. And every time I can't stand her. And it's just like, there are certain things about her. I don't like her voice. Yeah, and the actress the, has a tremble in her voice that yeah. makes her sound like she's almost gonna like cry. Is that kind of how you feel? Like it? Almost yeah, like, like her, she's she's so passionate about her emotions, every single thing yeah. that yeah. she's just getting ready to break down because she's so sincere, and you yes. must believe her. And the fact right. that you're not believing her is about to break her, right? You know, every time. And yeah. then again, she's just so creepily manipulative but she you know when they pull ben out of the hot box the first time that evening you know or the late afternoon or whatever right she brings him into the office and lets him sit down in the chair she pours him the glass of water and then like change into these clothes and then you can have the water it's like no he can have the water 
now. Right. He should never have been in the box in the first place. Yeah. And then she's just like, I just want you to know this pains me as much as it does you. No. Yes. Were yeah. you just in the box for 12 hours? Then no. Yeah. It doesn't. And I have a sneaking suspicion she's never been in the box. Yes. I was you thinking know? the exact same just, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Got a hard time with that one, you know. Just a lot of a lot of that going on, and and you know when Ben walks back out, still in the uniform, we're left to intimate that clearly he did. Obviously, he didn't put on the clothes, right. so he also most likely didn't drink the water. Yes, yeah. I I mean I both love and hate that. I was like Ben, drink the water, and then and go, then get go back, back in the box. box. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then yeah. get back in the box. Don't make it so hard on yourself. Yeah, you right. take a take at least a little repeat that you got. Yeah, but I agree. In that moment, it's like he refused every bit of what she offered him from the clothes to the water. And, like, they did a good job of making his suit look like it's sweaty. Like, it's like he's been covered and just drenched in sweat all, all that time. Um, that's, the be- that's the beauty of the Starfleet uniform, man, because it's, it's, it's already dark colors. You know, the black with the, yeah. the maroon shoulders and everything else. So, yeah, they're probably just, like... Before filming that scene, he, someone probably just threw water on him. Like I'm right. not joking. Like someone just like <laughs> threw a big bucket of water on him. And for well, as hot what I mean, as though, it looks, is, well, that's what I mean though. Is like it looks like the like the, the the team on the on the show like they made it so that it looks like he had been sweating that they hadn't just thrown water on him. It looks like it's got the right amount of uh, of, of drench down to like right below uh, the collarbone. Uh huh. Yeah, uh, that's what I thought. I mean. Yeah. No, I mean it looks great, and I mean it was filmed in uh, Southern California. I'm sure that it was pretty hot there, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just, uh, I just, I just know that obviously for a filming of that scene, it probably was. <laughs> yeah, just someone sprayed him with a hose or something. Yeah. But yeah, I think this was a great episode for Cisco too, because I mean it just shows a lot of, you know the the personal conviction of the man, you know, he's not going to give in just because it's hot outside and because it would have been easier, you know, he's just like, and you know, the thing about it to her trying to force him so quickly, because like y'all have been living here for years now. And even your own people have said that it took you a while to adjust to this lifestyle. And yet she is insistent that Ben, not, not even so much O'Brien, but Ben, yeah, she is insistent that he quickly acquiesce and give her what she wants. Right. Yeah, she she does do that. The, the perfect example of that being like, oh, we captured O'Brien. It's when she announces Meg's death. She says we found O'Brien, and you're thinking, oh wow, are they, they going to accuse him of murder? They're going to say we we have a a knife that we found plunged into her, and we found him doing the deed. No, no, no. He was wasting time by trying to solve the whole issue about the do it the, the field the duonic field or whatever it was and then she puts cisco in the box it's you're the superior mm-hmm. officer even if o'brien is the one that did the deed that we don't like uh you're the one who uh told him to do it so it's, it's also a power struggle in the sense of like she's the leader of this group cisco is the the commander of deep space nine or o- o'brien specifically um yeah, so it's 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 specifically Cisco that she goes after, and um, actually, while I'm thinking about it, this reminds me of the episode Chain of Command, which is a two part episode from the Next Generation, where Picard 
was the one being tortured by the Cardassians. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's the episode where, you know, he's told, okay, how many lights are there? There are four Four lights. lights. So good. And I'm, I'm so glad Perry, you made me watch like this, these shows in the next generation, because I now get that reference. Like I've heard that (laughs) reference in the like last year and I wouldn't have understood the reference about four lights, but I've heard it at least once. I don't remember where, and it's been like, I know what they're talking about. <laughs> right? And even if you don't, like, outright just bust out laughing, like, the internal chuckle that you get every time you see one of these things is yeah. reward in and of itself. Yeah. So, so you're yeah. welcome. Yeah. You're yeah. welcome. I'm exactly. glad that I was just like, yes. Yeah. Watch these shows. I, You know exactly. what? I wish that, like, well, since we are recording this and we're going to be broadcasting it, I'm going to make my family listen to this and be like, see, he thanked me for making <laughs> him watch Star Trek. Now it's your turn. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, so I, I just want to say that that's uh, – this is now an episode where we get to see how Cisco handles a, being tortured. And we've seen one where, you know, at least Picard had to put up with torture. Um, and both of them dealt with it. I mean, Picard – Came close to breaking, but didn't. Um, Cisco didn't go get. I guess you know Picard was tortured over at least like a week or so. I would say. Like yeah, we're indicates. we're not really. Yeah. yeah, we're not really seeing like um we either one of them. We're not really sure exactly how long. Sure, they they're right. both being tortured, but it does seem that Picard in his scenario was much longer. Right. Um, of a torture, and then his torture to me was less. It was Less more psychological, physical, but yeah, yeah more, more psychological. Yeah. The guy is definitely trying to like get inside Picard's head and right. wear him down. Right. And everything he's doing to him, you know, he's telling him he's 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 no longer going to be referred to by name or rank. He's just human, and he strips him of even his clothing, and he's hung him up, and it's just all this other stuff. Whereas with Cisco, it's I mean, she's still trying to get inside his head, but she still very much wants him to be, you know. Him just subservient to her, right? And to give into their lifestyle and stuff, and she's trying to change the that those aspects of him. So yeah, I mean they both have their torture things, but I mean, and I, there's obviously a bit of a mind game to both of them. But I, I think on this one, I'm going to give it to Picard and say his is a bit more of an intensive, more of an intensive psychological event than right. than Cisco's was. One of my favorite yeah, lines from that sure. whole chain of command torture sequence is uh, when the guy is asking him once again, he's like, just tell me, how many lights are there? And Picard's like, what lights? And I'm just <laughs> like, yes! <laughs> I love that little moment. He's like, yeah, that's exactly what lights. Yeah. And he just stares at him. And I was like, yep. <laughs> that's yeah. a great episode. Yeah. It also gives us background into the Cardassians. And that's a season six episode. So that would have been playing when during the first season of, of Deep Space Nine. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that gave us background in the Cardassians, who they are. That's the one where we understand that the military of the Cardassian, uh, the Cardassian society took over because uh, apparently the, the society was, you know, in the middle in the of famine shambles. and starving yeah. and lots of problems were going on. So the military took charge. And uh, we, we, I, I still haven't seen any sort of real civilian presence other than that one uh, civilian with the son who was on Bajor. We, yeah. it, it was the beginning of this season around that we saw some of that. Um, yeah. But other than that, all we've seen are the military aspects of the Cardassians. Um, so let's, yeah. 
So let's talk real quick about what we know about the Cardassians so far. Because like, as you mentioned, we, we had begun to see them a little bit here in Season 6 of Next Generation. And then obviously with Deep Space Nine, we know there's going to be a bigger Cardassian presence, right? Right. But so here's some things that we know. One, the Federation has already fought at least one war or major conflict, whatever you want to call it, with the Cardassians. And this was some 10 to 15 years ago because O'Brien was on the Rutledge. Right. With Captain Maxwell, which we when should also—that's referenced in this episode. We'll have to come back to that. But yes. Keep going, keep going. Uh, he was the hero of Setlick Three, as they called him. Right. And so he's already seen combat against the Cardassians. There, we know that the Cardassians also were not always a militaristic people, but that there was some kind of shift in the um, in the civilian government that led to the military coming to power. Right. We don't know exactly when that happened, but we can kind of guess that this was. Probably around, probably 60 to maybe even 100 years ago. Because he, the guy that's torturing Picard mentions that uh, the military had been in charge for at least a couple of generations. Because, you know, he grew up as a poor, impoverished kid. And uh, then he, you know, now that he's older, his grandkids, like his granddaughter is, you know, she's fed and she's well right. taken care of and everything else so we know it's been a couple of generations here right which also means this coincides with the occupation of bajor right we know that bajor was occupied by the cardassians for at least 50 years okay before they were finally you know abandoned the planet the right. resistance forces did their thing whatever that was so it seems to me that what happened was the Cardassians were in a bad way with their with their civilian government. Right. The military took over and did a rapid expansion project, which made them, which brought them to occup the occupation of Bajor. Right. This lasted for again around fifty years or so, but they were already struggling with it when the war with the Federation broke out. Right. Between their war with the Federation and the losses in the um, demilitarized zone. To with the formation of the Maquis as well, the Cardassians just really couldn't afford to continue the occupation of Bajor as well, so they withdrew from Bajor. Right. And so it wasn't so much that the resistance was winning, but it was like, in the face of all these losses, we need to kind of pull back and, and recoup. Re right. Re regroup our forces here. And we'll take back Bajor when the chance arise, arises. Right. Yeah. So it's... so. That's kind of where we are with the beginning of Deep Space Nine is we're not really sure what's going on with the Cardassians, just that if you track the history and the inferences that have been made so far, it really seems like they didn't give up because they were like suddenly overcome with this grief of how many Bajorans they've tortured and killed, but it was more like they've suffered a significant number of losses and they just can no longer afford to commit assets to the occupation of Bajor. And that's why they pull out the way they do. And that's also why they leave so many things behind. They've right. left the space station. They've left the orphans. They've left all of these pieces of them everywhere because they really just couldn't afford to hold on to them anymore. Right. Yeah. That seems to be exactly right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting because at the in, a season seven episode where we have the Native Americans who stay on a planet that had been in a treaty given over to the Cardassians. That's also the yes. same episode where Wesley Crusher goes Becomes and joins the Traveler. The traveler. Yeah. Um, 
And in that episode, it's like the Cardassians are still a mainly a militaristic society, but they've mellowed out some because they agree mm. to the situation. And it seems like they're agreeing in a more, you know, they're getting a long kind of way. But, I mean, we're in the middle of season two of DC's 9, which is correlated with season seven of TNG. So, I don't know, are, 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 does that sound like that's kind of an outside event? What happened on the TNG episode there? What would you say? No, so that's actually a part of it, because that's that demilitarized zone that we're talking about, okay. which also leads to the formation of the Maquis. So in that episode of Next Generation, that's where we were beginning to see the um, the foundation of the Maquis conflict. Okay. So what so what happens right. here is the Federation signs this treaty, and then when they split up, when they when they establish this border, some planets that were controlled by the Cardassians have now ended up on the Federation side of the border, right. and some planets that were all, that were controlled by the Federation are now on the Cardassian side of the border, right. and and the respective nations, Federation, Cardassia, wants the various settlers to move, right, get right. off of their respective planets and go wherever, yes. right. But the Native Americans are like, no, that's happened way we're too many times that. in our personal history. Right. We're not doing it again, yeah. Right. And so kind of the the um, um, agreement is we will renounce our Federation citizenship to stay on this planet. And we understand that the Cardassians are going to kind of be our they're going to be our government. Right. But exactly. of course. Right. And so then the the Cardassians are just like. Sure, whatever, and it seems equitable, but then of course, next yeah. generation does what they always do, which is we've we've tentatively made this agreement. Now we're off to our next da, adventure, da, 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 right? Da, da. <laughs> Meanwhile, the people are left to really kind of deal with their implications of all this stuff and yeah. what it's really going to mean. It's and like, even as we see in the end of that episode, they didn't end peacefully. Right. Wesley, the story kind of gets overshadowed by Wesley becoming a traveler, right. and he leaves the situation as they're fighting. Right. Yeah, you you're know, totally right. If our Deep Space Nine cast had been there for that whole that, that whole thing, as opposed to the TNG cast, that would have changed everything. Deep Space Nine's cast would have been like, "Hell no, we got to figure out a solution. We're not going to let these people be be prey to the Cardassian." Yeah. People. That almost could have yeah. been a whole show in and of itself. Like oh, they, could, yeah. they could have made a show all about trying to navigate this new political situation that the Enterprise and company have created for them. Right. And we've got this space station that's trying to manage these two groups as they're, you know, some are relocating, some aren't. You've got offshoot splinter groups that are like, right. screw that, we're going to protect our own, you know, all that kind of stuff. That could have been its own show, but wasn't. Right. Um, and so then, of course, we're getting into what, uh, you know, what we're seeing later on uh, with the Maquis formation, in which which their whole thing is they feel like the Federation abandoned them right. and that no one's going to protect their interests and they have to protect their homes themselves. So they cobble together a few ships, arm them as best they can and basically just start pulling off raids and strikes against uh, Cardassian bases in the demilitarized zone. Right. Until the Federation is like, and the and the Cardassians again still kind of strapped from the Federation Cardassian War and from their dealings with the Bajorans and whatever else the Cardassian Empire has got going on, they're kind of like, look, they're human, so they're your problem. 
Right. And if you don't solve it, we're just going to come in and kill everybody. Right. So here's your chance to prove that you can save some lives and get those other humans under control. So even though they've kind of forced this situation, they're now making it the, the, the Federation's responsibility to clean up. And that's when we have our Federation Maquis uh, conflict here. Yeah. Because Federation's like, we want to help you, but we also don't want another war. The Federation can't <sighs> handle going to war right. again with the Cardassians right now. Ah, I love that episode. It was so good. Yeah. So we get a we get a lot here, and what we're also learning too is that it seems like no one likes the Cardassians. Like you know, <laughs> like they don't they don't come off very well in any facet that we've seen them in. They're very aggressive. They're very you know smug, uh, superior, complexy people. You know, so we're not really seeing them in the best of light either here. And uh, I I actually love they keep that going. Like there's never a time when you can really look at really any Cardassians and be like, yeah, you're all right. <laughs> Almost all of them. You're just like, ugh, you suck. Even yeah. when we had to deal with the Cardassians and the orphans and Rugal's father, Kotan Padar came to get yeah. his son. Right. He was so wrapped up in getting his son until he found out that this was all an elaborate plot by Gold Ducat to defame him. And then he cared less about his son and more about this evidence to kind of keep Gold Ducat in line. Right. Yeah, exactly. So they're, they just don't win you over at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I I will be curious to see if we ever... I mean, what's the the the, the, the guy on Deep Space Nine, the Cardassian, who has the lingerie shop, the, the clothing shop? Garrick. Uh, Garrick. Like, he's the only Cardassian who is not outright a villain <laughs> that we've seen. He's the only yeah. one who has, like, at least he has... He's like some sort of middle player. He works in the gray areas of everything so far, but which we're not really sure what that is yet. Is he there because he's in exile, as he says, or is he a spy? Or yeah, what's going on with this guy? Right. So um, a lot we haven't got to with Garrick just yet. Just like there was a lot that we hadn't gotten to with um, uh, Dax or even Cisco at this point. Like this yes. episode is kind of our second Cisco episode. We haven't really seen much of him um since Second Sight when he was falling in love with Finna. Right. You know? So yeah. um yeah, this is our first season really seeing him less from that and more in the I guess a more typical Star Trek Starfleet role right. of this protagonist and it's his morals, his principles that's guiding him through in this situation. Right. Actually, on that point, we should probably quickly mention that um, Odo, uh, Quark, and Dr. Bashir do not appear in this episode at all. Like, That's right. Yeah. In order for this episode to make to work, we really focus on Cisco. O'Brien is there, but it really is, as you said, a Cisco episode. And then Dax and Kira coming to the rescue. And so let's, on that point, I want to <laughs> quickly mention, when this episode started, I was I was facepalming. I was like, this is a perfect <laughs> reason for Dax to go out there. This is a Dax scientific exploration. Why are the commander and uh, the mechanic going out and searching for M-class planets for people on this side of the wormhole? Um but as soon as I thought that, I realized, okay, this is a chance for Dax to step up and save the day. So I did realize very quickly why we had this set up. It's because it's like, oh, now that O'Brien and Cisco are, are compromised, we have a reason for the others to save them. And who is going to be the best position to do that? Dax. Okay, let's go. Um, 
And you also bring up another great point here of, you know, why isn't Dax, why isn't it Dax instead of O'Brien? And right. it highlights yet again something that we had talked about, you know, in the first season. A lot of the stuff that Dax and O'Brien do, either one of them could do. Right. Like, that's what's so weird about both of them. It's like Dax is billed as our science officer. Right. And, you know, and O'Brien is billed as our um, chief engineer. Right. But when you watch them, a lot of the times, like what they're what they're doing, it like independently. Right. They could like just just change the roles, just right. switch them over, and either one of them could do it. And a lot of times you see them working together, and it's like it's no wonder that they just kind of pick one of these two to do it because they just they're so interchangeable, and it's kind of weird right. that the, they've been built this way. Um, and I wish to a certain degree, like if they had done this episode and it had been Dax, like to watch, <laughs> like watch the changes and watch how they would have been able to approach things. You know, I feel like, I feel like you wouldn't, the episode would not have suffered. Like if it had been Dax that had gone with Cisco initially, right. we would have seen probably more dialogue about their personal dynamic than anything else. Right. You know? And then, um, you know, O'Brien could have been with Kira on the runabout and solving the problem of how to stop the runabout, you know, and and yes. uh, using the tractor beams and everything else. As like it a could have worked just as well. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. It could have worked just as well with him. So right. it I, felt like, yeah. yeah, it felt like at the beginning of the episode, the reason they chose to have O'Brien there instead of Dax was they had a moment about. You know, Cisco wants Jake to learn what it's like to be in in the Federation. So he wants O'Brien to take a, a role in like teaching him some things. And so, it, and then at one point, uh, O'Brien says, "They grow up so fast, don't they, sir?" And Cisco says, "They do." Uh, so they're talking about their kids, kind of in that moment. So it's a, it's a cute moment, which I think really emphasizes that at this time, O'Brien is the more interesting character compared to Dax. He has a wife. He has a kid. He already has a history with the Cardassians. So far, Dax is still overall a blank slate, and we haven't given she hasn't been given a chance to really fill in that blank slate. Um, so the only thing she really gets to do in this episode is talk about how great a poker player she is and how she's been teaching Cisco to be a better poker player, but he can't bluff. Which I I have to say I think that's BS. I think Cisco could actually bluff the hell out of poker. I think that should actually be what happens. But anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I wouldn't then, play poker with him. Yeah, exactly. He would. I think he's got a great poker face. Like I think Bashir knows when to crap his pants and when not to. So anyway, um, the uh, um, then in the like the whole we got the tractor beam thing working out. We have Kira. She's like, okay, I'm gonna go beam over while it's in warp. And um, Dax is like, hey, like you're my superior officer, but I'm the science officer, and it's my job to come up with a better solution. So my my solution is I'm gonna instead of risking your life to get into the the <laughs> into the other runabout, I'm gonna risk both of our lives and both runabouts by doing this lasso type maneuver with the tractor beam, which works, of course. You know, you never doubt that it's gonna work because they're not the main ones in danger. But anyway, they get the the runabout, they head to the they figure out where it would happen. They head that way, and then oh, they beam him up in time. And so I was like, again, it's like Dax did save the day, but she was still on the back burner. It's like, golly, come on! <laughs> I think we're gonna have to. I think we're just gonna have to find another way to kind of appreciate Dax because it's just like, oh, I the, the, the crazy thing about it is, it's like we've been given so little right. for this character, but 
we already love her so much. We're just we're just campaigning for her to have more. Oh, I, just, that's what's so crazy. I'm to me. sorry. I'm gonna have to just quickly disagree and say that I like her well enough, but for me, the noob, like she's just there. <laughs> I Which know is why I'm going great, to I'm going I, I to correct waiting. you. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to correct you and say you do love her. You just don't know it yet. Okay, there you go. So. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to be no. on this planet with us. You just don't know yes. it yet. Yeah. Yes. Um. That, and I, I will stand by it. I know that, like, you know, going back and watching these with you and, and everything, you know, I'm recognizing more and more that, like, my love for a lot of these characters is from stuff that happens to them later on. <laughs> but obviously, we have to we have to get there. Yeah. So it's just like, through. yeah. So I'm realizing that I'm really going to have to rein in my enthusiasm, like, love of certain characters and what they do, <laughs> because it's just like, we're not there yet. And I just don't want to keep building them up to you. And then when it finally happens, you're like, that's it. And I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> what do you mean? That's it. We've waited X amount of seasons to get here. Right. You know? right so, yeah, yeah. Um, um, but yeah, so I, I, I will try to do that. But at the same time, like, um, they're just great. And I mean, like, the thing about it is, I feel like Deep Space Nine does all their characters justice. It's just, they started with certain characters and haven't really got to everybody else. Like, we know so much about Kira. And we've gotten so much from Kira. And I think we can all agree that Kira is a great character. But yeah. we agree with that because she's given us so much already. And right. we're just now at the halfway point of season two. Right, yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, Um it was a fun little comment they have about who's the one making the decision. Cause after, you know, Dax says, I'm going to do this plan. And it's like, okay, this is my plan. Unless you have a better plan, my superior officer. So that was a funny moment between the two of them. And I would like more girl talk. Like, like let's get them having the more girl talk. Let's let them do it. Let's let them be together and be friends. And however it is that they work out the relationship. I want to see more of that. Um, so yeah, that, that's all great that's and right. good um yeah kira says to her she says um you got a better idea and she's like i'm a science officer it's my job to have a better that's idea exactly it's it. like, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like yeah. um excuse me rude you that's your that's the first officer you're speaking to right yeah a lot of leeway with your officer well it's funny too because you know dax has had at least five six lifetimes of experience you'd think that like you would really think that this science officer would actually maybe be a little higher up. I mean, we know that the character is like that um, Jadzia is like the one we're actually dealing with. And she yeah. is the science officer. She's the one who actually did all the training as that one episode talked about. Um, so yeah, that makes sense. But then when she, she whips out the whole, um, you know, like I've been teaching Cisco to learn poker for two lifetimes and, yeah, that yeah. was great. That was great. <laughs> I love that, you know, she's able to make those tie-ins and, yeah. uh, you know, kind of, and again, it kind of shows that they have a deeper relationship as well, which again, we really just haven't seen a whole lot of either. Like I love the scenes with, with Dax and Cisco and I'm always just like, I need more of that. Right. Give me more of that. Cause they're, they're great. Like that understood long-term friendship, you know, that has now spanned two lifetimes. Right. It's great. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to rewatching and rediscovering more of that. Right. So, of course, I have <sighs> to ask you, David, what did you think of this episode overall as your first time watch through here? What did you think? Well, as it was opening up in like the teaser and the initial like part one of the episode, 
I was like, wow, this is a lovely little group of people. They're made do with the, the hardships of their lives, and they've actually managed to create a successful community, and they're all very pleasant, and they, they want to know what it's like on the outside, you know, off the planet. And, you know, the one lady asks, like, can we leave? And Alexis is initially is like, you know, everyone is going to have to individually figure that out for themselves, which hmm. then as we watch the episode, we come to realize that's how she manipulates people is she she – she suggests things to people. Yeah, you know, I'm not gonna. Yeah, a, I'm not gonna. Yeah, I don't make you do things. This is just what I think would be best. And I, would you agree? Um, so actually, let me quickly say that plays into a little later scene, which we didn't talk about in the recap, where uh, one of the women, the same woman who asked, "Can we leave?" Um, goes to Cisco's room at night, having clearly dressed herself up a little bit with some oil to massage him with. And uh, Cisco, being an intelligent man, realizes that she's there to try and seduce him on some level. I mean, she's a very nice lady, and it seems like she's very sincere. But he asks her directly, did Alexis put you up to this? And she doesn't exactly respond, but you can tell that she was involved with the situation. And he goes to Alexis's room and says, uh, are you uh, – she's writing, and he says, are you writing about – uh, something that's before or after how to use sexual procurement. Um, so he's pissed. Like that's the mm -hmm. first time they truly have a real direct confrontation. He tells her directly mm -hmm. to her face, I think you're contemptible. Um, and she, again, she suggested that she, the lady who clearly likes Cisco and who wants to yeah. help him get used to their community and, you know, you know, be, um, you know, put away all those old things that if he's going to have to join their community, he might as well learn and she'll be a great partner for him. And it's like, oh, my goodness, this lady is going to use every tool she has. Yeah, to... she reminds me of so many just smarmy politicians. Too. Yeah, she didn't. She didn't really explicitly say she right. just suggested. I, yeah. well, I already knew that Cassandra had some kind of attraction towards you. So <laughs> I just thought that maybe, right. maybe if she wanted to help you out a little bit, maybe she could come see you and rub this oil all over your body. You know, like that <laughs> it's so awful. You know, yeah. it's just like, yeah, okay, fine. Like if your explicit words, no, you didn't say it, but you've you've tweaked everything just so. You've suggested just enough right. that it's the same thing. You might as well have given an order. Right. You yeah. know? And I just exactly. I hate that I hate when I see that in 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 people and I I pointed out politicians but there are not it's not just politicians there are a lot of people who do that right. and then of course when things you know blow up in their face when they're confronted by the issue as Cisco confronted Alexis here they're like well no 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 I didn't say that right yeah I, I, that's not what I said yeah she's it's really like, good um, at the gaslighting yeah she. She's very good, much yeah. is no. Go ahead. That's what yeah. I was going to say. She very well, much. She is. does it really. The the, the most gaslight, like the, the the scene where she like really puts it on full blast is when she um has Cisco stay up the night before on guard duty, like whatever the hell is that they need guard duty for, right? Like okay, mm -hmm. um, and then uh, are you going to be able to do your shift today? And Cisco's like, oh, okay, I know what's happening here. If I say no, you know, I lose my. You know, I lose stature in the community, and right. yada, yada, yada. So, no, he'll do it. And then she says, oh, yeah, I just want to let you know that the lady who's dying in the back room with leaves strapped to her wrists, yeah, we think she's doing better today. Yeah, uh, w w things are looking up. 
And it's like, uh, you want to prove that? You want to let them right. go take a look? You want someone else to come along and, and confirm your diagnosis, that things are better? Because literally an hour later, you're declaring she's dead. So, right. um, yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, again, when the episode started, it was like, oh, man, this is a nice community. But I was thinking, oh, man, I know something's going to have to go wrong. Right. You, you know there's going to be some problem they have to solve. So what's the most likely thing? They're going to be trapped here like it turns out that they're you know things are going to go bad fast and this community has actually got some dark secret that they gotta hide and it's it's how every one of these stories goes you know every every utopia has a dark secret underneath keeping it alive um well it actually makes those go ahead sorry sorry no go ahead I was just going to say, it just makes those stories interesting. Um, there's like The Giver, which is a story like, you mm-hmm. read in middle school about a, a, a society that's like super ordered. But what they've done is that they've excised all of the negative emotions out of their society. And there's one man who uh, has to remember all of the terrible things for the community. Um, and this boy in the story is the one who is tasked to go learn about all the horrible things and any any good yeah. story about a some some sort of utopia it's always how the dark side of the utopia there's some dark terrible thing happening underneath all the shiny pretty lights um, so that, that yeah. reminds me of two stories so right. there's you know the other one that you read also in in grade school which is the lottery you know where you got to draw whoever draws the the black rock or whatever gets stoned to death or right. whatever, you know, that and was, they don't one. know why. Yeah. And they, yeah. They don't know why no one says why, but it's another thing that kind of keeps the whole community in order as behind yes. this, this ceremonial event here that happens. And then of course there is, um, and now I'm just blanking on the title, uh, uh, a wrinkle in time. Yeah. Uh, which is another one where, you know, they, the, the three children end up going to this far flung planet and on the planet, everything is seemingly great but it's great at the sacrifice of individualism you know right everybody's exactly. orderly everybody does everything the exact same right. all of their stuff is you know to the letter controlled right and these you know and uh, these children kind of disrupt that or no don't even kind of they definitely disrupt <laughs> that in this bid to you know save the universe from this ever-expanding darkness right you know um so yeah there's um a lots of a lot of uh, stories that kind of hit on that, and then for this one in particular, I also found the the cult uh, trope. The parallel there um, yeah. was very strong. Again, this community leader who is really controlling everybody, and again, she's she's influencing them not just on you know like you know crops that they grow and everything else, but I mean she's literally controlling where they live. Yeah, she's she controlled the crash. She controls the technology. She's writing all of the books. She's implementing all the punishments. She's, she is everything. Right. And it's um, just shy of deification because right. she, she also, like you said, she's gaslighting everybody being like, you know, well, you've got a, you've got a choice, but at the same time, it's like, if you choose, incorrectly mm-hmm. and you don't go along with what she wants and what she says you could face punishment in the in the box you could be excised from the community like there's a lot and, and then of course you have nowhere else to go because right. she's controlling the only technology you, they don't have the freedom and the option to be like you know what i don't want to live this life anymore i've tried it for x amount of years doesn't work for me i'm gone right they can't do that they are locked into what she wants right you know, so yeah, very much that kind of cult mentality there, which, yeah. you know, 
Colts were very, you know, prominent in the '90s. <laughs> you know, so unfortunate, unfortunate '90s tie-in, but it's true. There were a lot of Colts, yeah. you know, that kind of kicked off in the '90s, and we saw those, the unfortunate consequences of those with um, the the suicides and things like that that happened, or the raiding of the compounds and everything else. You know, like yeah. Waco and so forth from all these Colts and things like that. But um, it, I think it's interesting because it sets us up for uh, the obvious question of. What is the appeal of that kind of cult lifestyle? Like, what do you feel like would be a draw to that kind of giving up your personal autonomy to oh, live this way? Oh, I think it's very easy. It's someone else is going to tell you how the world works. You can just let go. You can just you can just do the thing that makes you a part of the community. You have a task and a job, and it's simple and it's it's easy. And it's it's something that makes you have value. You are contributing to the the well being of everyone else in the society, and all of the burden of the hard decisions is put on this one genius who has everything figured out and has planned it all ahead of time, and is just there to give you encouragement and let you know that what you're doing is good and right. And uh, yeah, it's. Yeah, it's it's it. I can see the the appeal, but as soon it's like it's as soon as you poke it, it falls apart. <laughs> um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, you're absolutely right, and I mean, I just um, I was wondering what your what your take on that. Again, like I said, there were a lot of cults that kind of popped up um, in the early nineties, or at least became. Um, Became newsworthy, I guess, in the sure. early to mid '90s. You know, it's estimated that there's anywhere between twenty five hundred to three thousand cults that are active in the United States even today. Right. So it's not like this is something that has gone away at all. But I, I agree. I think that the main draw of cults is that it takes away that um, that personal responsibility. You are right. no longer the reason that your life was a success or failure. Right. You know, you are no longer um, the one making all the decisions and therefore being responsible for anything. You just, you have someone else who is telling you how to um, live your life. And if you abide by their rules and you do uh, what they tell you and subscribe to these certain tenants, then yes, you'll be successful in this new community that they've built. And in in a way it kind of harkens back to like how we used to establish, you know, uh, cities and stuff, you know, these right. people come together into an area and then we kind of build up, but the total lack of expressionism of freedom and the inability to really kind of direct your own path flies in the face of the very thing I feel like they're trying to do with this establishment of a new, you know, like city or whatever it is that they're going for. Right. Yeah. So I just think it's interesting that they, they tried to make that attempt to talk about that here in this episode of, of Deep Space Nine. Well, I'm not sure that it fully hit. Well, I think I, I know think why. I think I know why. This episode, all of these members of what we're now calling a cult to Alex, Alexis is basically, they were forced into it. They weren't voluntarily, they didn't volunteer to join this cult. They were forced because of her actions to have to endure her philosophy for 10 years. And then at the end of the episode, they all agree that their brainwashing was fine. Or at least the one guy does. Um, 
that's kind of, I think, where it maybe kind of falls apart a little bit for me. It's like, these people didn't have a choice to really choose this cult behavior. They were kind of forced to agree to it, especially with her box and everything else. Um, like, the, the mechanic guy says he was the last convert, but then he's the one at the end who's, like, fully articulating her philosophy and saying how, even though she lied, it was still good. You know, we have a community now. As if they wouldn't still have a community if they were able to, you know, have modern medicine. Like, they could right. still live their agrarian lifestyle, but if they needed, you know, Deep Space Nine to send Dr. Bashir to come help solve a medical issue, would that really destroy what they've gained or yeah. all that? And so that's where I think it kind of falls apart for me, especially with the idea that she is going to voluntarily, with her son, go be held account. Like... If the society that she's from doesn't want her to be punished, they think she's fine. It's surprising that they just kind of, you know, shrug their shoulders when she's going to be taken away by Cisco to be punished. Yeah. It's- you know, that's true. I mean, and I think that that it was, you know, kind of where it, it, the greater philosophy of the episode kind of falls apart because it's right. just like they're supposed to be existing um, apart from the Federation. So, you know, they're they're not Federation citizens. They have cut off all ties. Right. You know, so for them to be willing for Starfleet to come in and kind of institute this this justice right. so swiftly. Right. Yeah. It's just like, OK, well, then. I feel like you're all kind of culpable at this point because you didn't do enough to put her down as your leader. Right. You know, you only did this now that, you know, that the technology aspect has been revealed to you. And, and another reason why this episode doesn't work for me either is because, um, Starfleet has made it very uh, clear that they're not going to interfere with, um, the development of a culture or anything like that. Right. Now, granted, these people were human. They were from Earth or from an Earth colony elsewhere, and they had already set out to go and be colony, um, a, a colony somewhere else. Right. That was the whole point of their mission when they left in the first place. So, um, knowing that, uh, for Cisco and them to kind of like swoop in the way that they did and say like, yeah, Alexis is going to have to answer for this, it's just like, Again, you should have been rounding everybody up because, again, they're all culpable here. And it's just like what you said. Like, uh, right. they could have maintained their ties to the Federation and still not used any technology willingly. And just any time that they had an issue, just call Deep Space Nine or the nearest Federation ship or remember to drop a doctor off or a, uh, whatever and just use those specific services and not take in all of the additional technology. There was nothing that would have stopped them from doing that. The Starfleet has made it their mission to basically say, we'll help you as much or as little as you want. If you only want this thing from us, that's all we'll give you. Right. If you want more, then we'll give you that too. But they're not forcing anything on anybody. They've said that time and time again. We're not going to make you take stuff. You don't. It's not going to be like, oh yeah, you can use our doctor, but in exchange for using our doctor... We're going to set up a... We need your resources, yeah. We, yeah, yeah, we're going to set up a, a, co- a, a, conf- a complex a mining, to build. Yeah, we're going to put a mining right, facility in orbit around your planet and have it occupied. Right. <laughs> exactly. Now, that would be something that, like, the Cardassians would do. Exactly. But certainly right. not the Federation. So, yeah, their whole the whole reason for Alexis to cut them off the way that she did doesn't make sense. Right. The whole reason for... Um, her to then later on go back and face punishment for it also kind of doesn't make sense because yeah. again that's just not not the at least from our understanding of what the Federation is at this point 
Right. They wouldn't have done those things. Right. And I know we're kind of pushing time here, but I just want to say, yeah. as we've been talking, I've been thinking, I remember there's an episode of TNG that also stood out to my mind as we were talking about uh, the Masterpiece Society episode about a society that was 200 years isolated from the rest of uh, the, mm-hmm. the Federation because they wanted to have a genetically engineered perfection society. Uh, but how when the Federation shows up with our Enterprise crew, things still go, go sideways. Um, so yeah, it's isolating yourself from the rest of society is just not... I mean, it's an option that the Federation will allow you to take because they're they're going to give you free will. You know, if you want to be isolated, okay. Um, but it just never goes well for whatever society that is. Um, yeah, yeah, not at all. It, it doesn't go well. And and especially the way that they do it, the way that... and the, Especially the way the Federation and Starfleet in particular are represented in all these episodes, it never really seems to make sense because it always seems like the Federation is just saying, we will be involved with you as much or as little as you want us to be. Right. And so it only makes sense when it's truly an alien society that's kind of hesitant about the right. Federation because they're a total unknown. Right. But when you're dealing with humans, yes. especially when you're dealing with humans, where they have at up to a certain point when they cut themselves off, they were very much aware of the formation of the Federation and Starfleet. They should know this. Right. There shouldn't be this fear that they're going to swoop in and take whatever or do whatever to them because they know that's not how they operate anymore. Right. Yeah. 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 It's it's an interesting um and that's what's great about, I guess, Star Trek in this way, is it gives us a chance to kind of explore these ideas. But yeah, yeah. I it, we've never had a successful isolated community. And I think that's true of real life. Um, you can't truly expect to lock yourself away from society and I mean you might prove successful for a time, but as soon as something happens to break your little bubble, um yeah, things just don't work out. <laughs> yeah, I think it all just comes, especially, especially we've never had a successful break off society when it's when it's people who started already in contemporary society then trying to break yes. away. And I think that's yeah. the point they were making in regards to like cults and stuff. People who have grown up in this contemporary world who then try to isolate themselves and establish this kind of new world order under their own personal dome of of influence, right. they never end well. Now, of course, there are a lot of civil... There, I say a lot, but I don't know exactly the number. There are a number of civilizations right now that exist on our planet that are isolated right. and that don't take part in what we would consider the modern world. But they've always been that way. There was never... There was never any of them like they didn't have like high rise apartments that they suddenly just bulldozed to go back to living in the rainforest. That never happened. Right. But yeah, so there is a difference. It's it's those groups though that are like, no, we're gonna go out here to East Texas and we're gonna buy up <laughs> a big plot of land and establish our own, you know, sovereignty or whatever else. Those never end well. They never right. end well. Yeah. So and again we have the Heaven's Gate cult, the Y two K doomsdayers from the nineties and like that that we can all point to. Yeah. Again again, right down the street from us, you know, Waco and all that stuff that happened. We right. we have clear cut examples that show that this stuff just doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. There's one last little thing I think we should briefly mention before we yes. wrap up, and that's just simply that uh, we learn about O'Brien's history as a mechanic at the very beginning. He explains that the reason he became an engineer 
excuse me, was that during the Federation Cardassian War, he had 10 minutes to get he and some others off of, I guess, Setlik 3. Setlik 3 was the planet, yes. Yeah, and so uh, he became the hero of Setlik 3 by, you know, he he didn't want to become prisoners of war of the Cardassians, so he figured out pretty quick how to get a transporter working, and uh, from there on realized that even though he qualified in the bottom third of the mechanical aptitude test, just like Jake Sisko is currently... uh, testing uh he has now become an engineer uh after learning in the (laughs) in the in a very hot heated moment that he had the skills necessary to be successful and go from there so but yeah i think that's that literally covers everything that this episode had to deal with as far as i can remember so yes it did and uh just another quick recap we did finally get to see my favorite shuttle the orinoco which was a replacement (laughs) for the yangtze kiang which um you know, I that name, Yangtze King, I just never liked it. But uh, Orinoco is my favorite one. Um, so, yes, before we wrap, I just wanted to say that um, uh, in other Trek news, Star Trek Picard finally aired its final episode of season two just last week. Um, and it was a great send off, all things considered, for the kind of mixed episodes towards the end of its run. But this last one was a great one. I am still very excited about season three, but I think they sent a lot of the characters on off on a good note. Like what what's going to come next for them or whatever, I think is they did a great tie up gotcha. for all that. Um, we also got to see Wesley Crusher back, uh, oh. gave us a nice touching cameo in, in this one. So was very glad for that because like we said, next season, season three is going to be featuring all of the cast from, uh, uh, the original or not the original series, but from the next generation, except for Will Whedon, of course, he was Wesley Crusher. So to see him at least in this one helped, helped <laughs> that. Gotcha. We also got to watch the very first episode of the newest Star Trek show to join our ever-expanding franchise, Strange New Worlds. And I am not going to give away any spoilers at all, but I just want to say I thought it was great. I I loved every bit of it. I, I love the, the buildup of the mission. I love when the actual mission happened. I like the explanation. I like the tie-in to a couple of other Trek shows that they gave us and all of it. It made sense. I loved how it was filmed. I liked how it looked like it was a great first start. So if they keep that momentum going, I think they have a great show uh, ahead of them. And so um, they've wrapped up everything. So now Strange New Worlds will be the only new Trek show out producing episodes, at least for a while. I'm not sure when Prodigy is supposed to be coming back, but I think that that's like uh, a couple months from now. I think it's supposed to be maybe like... I want to say August, but I could be wrong. So we're just going to hold off on that. Right now, the only Trek show that's out is Strange New World. So get yourself your Paramount subscription, finally, and go watch them, because they're (laughs) definitely worth it. Okay? But other than that, uh, you can continue to find us and follow us and offer us any kind of questions and insight that you have at The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Find us on Twitter. Find us on Facebook. Send us those questions and comments. We'd love to hear from you. But until then, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys.